Leader Talks NI. Insights from Northern Ireland business leaders, brought to you by Corvus People. To go from a company of nearly 3,000 people to the hundreds that were there at the end was an ex- a learning experience, but not a learning experience you would ever choose to go through. With the geopolitical risks that are out there, China and the impact in Taiwan, the Japan earthquake, the Ukraine-Russia conflict, the conflict in the Middle East. There's so much going on in the world that just drives uncertainty into global supply chains. So I think it's about risk management. I think it's about scenario planning. Um, I think it's about understanding how you can navigate those risks because they are going to manifest themselves somewhere. So my name is Michelle Cairns and today on Leader Talks NI, I've got Alison Wilson, who is the VP of Global Fulfillment for Siena in Belfast. Hi, Alison. Thank you very much for taking part. Tell me a bit about your sort of career, your history. Give me an idea of your career to date. So I actually started with Randox Laboratories back in... I did not know that. Oh my goodness. Back in the late 80s, mid late 80s. And back in those days, there were only 30 of us. Uh, Billy and Bertie Fitzgerald were very much a part of everything that was going on. Peter, obviously, his brainchild. And it was a great introduction to work. It was a family firm, and they were obviously very invested in the success of the company. And I still have very fond memories of working there. Um, It was also a scenario where it was all hands to the pumps. So even though I worked in R&D and was working on developing kits, if there was a big order, you were packing boxes, packing and... boxes. And I still remember the look of horror on Johnny Campbell's face when I forgot to put the bung into the buffer bottles. And he was just horrified that I could be so stupid. But there you go. So that was a great introduction. I then moved into a teaching company scheme which is a tripartite relationship between there was a teaching company directorate, the University of Ulster and a startup company. Um, And I joined a scheme. It was a two year scheme and they match you up with a a new company. And the new company was DDL Electronics in Craigavon, um, who was a sister company to Orlandis Circuits, who used to make printed circuit boards. So they made printed circuit boards and DDL was set up uh, to take on contracts to stuff printed circuit boards. So there were surface mount lines, wave solder lines, uh, fly and probe test machines, bed nails test machines. So I was then introduced to the world of electronics and engineers and quality systems. And again, it was great, great fun. Uh, it was a startup. There was a real Dunkirk spirit, you know, everybody just mucked in. Um, so that was a brilliant experience. Um, and then one of our customers, because it was Nortel from the Doak Road, and everybody remembers Nortel and the, the STC and the Social Club and the Pink Ladies hockey team. But Nortel was one of our customers. And I, one day I got a phone call to say, Alison, would you like to come and work for us? And I thought, oh, I maybe would. Uh, So I applied for a job, um, was successful, and that started my 26-year career in telecommunications. 
Um, Nortel was an amazing company to work for. Monkstown was brilliant. The camaraderie, the leaders that existed, Mr. Conway, uh, Chris Conway, who's now in charge of TransLink, was my boss. Probably one of the best bosses I've ever had. Um, but unfortunately, as people know, Nortel went into administration. A lot of learnings through that experience to go from a company of nearly 3,000 people to the hundreds that were there at the end was an ex a learning experience, but not a learning experience you would ever choose to go through. Um, but we were very lucky. I ended up in the optical division um, and we were bought by Sienna 14 years ago. Um, and we're still there. And the group of folk associated to the optical business moved into an office on Great Victoria Street and we've tripled in size. So that's just been amazing. That's been a, a huge experience to come through that, to merge with a company that was probably equal in size to the bit of Nortel that we were left with. Um, so that's been my career and that's that's where I am today. And yeah, it's been fun. Nortel was a great place. I've some brilliant leaders Amazing. in Nortel and a fantastic culture. Nortel was ahead of its time, I think, in a lot of its employee engagement yeah, programs. Time. The development that I got as a you know a new manager, a new leader within the company, uh was just amazing. The places I got to go to, that's the other thing since joining Nortel. I have traveled the world. You know, from Russia to Kala to Asia to Australia, Japan, so many trips to the Americas that it's just opened up the world to me. And it, that changes your perspective as well, I think, on business and how business is run and the career opportunities that you can have within a global company. And I suppose from you, I mean, one thing I would say is, so tell me about your role now with okay. Sienna. What does that look like? So I'm currently uh, the vice president. Never can, I'm still not used to saying that. I don't know how I ever got to be a vice president, but there you go. Um, Just vice because you were really good, actually, <laughs> Alison. But. Uh, vice president of global fulfillment. So basically, I sit within Sienna's global supply chain. Um, and the fulfillment organization, uh, my team focuses on the execution arm of supply chain. So I have a global team uh, of about 140 people, uh, again, in all parts of the world, India, the, the States, Guadalajara and Mexico, uh, Australia. So we have a global team and really we are charged with taking customer orders, getting those scheduled into our system. We have my team interface directly with our customers around their order books or escalations or priorities. Um, I manage our global warehouses um, and also global logistics. So everything from taking the order to delivering the order to the customer's sits back door or sits within my team. Um, so no one day is the same. Uh, it's great fun. Something always comes up. And really for all our customers, supply chain performance is kind of table stakes. Um, so when that's working well, our customers are happy and they can engage with us on and engage with our PLM and sales teams on new opportunities when, when we're not performing, then all they want to talk about is their order book and what's going on. And I suppose you sort of see it from that global perspective. I mean, what are the global trends? Because it has been such an uncertain 
market over the last five, six, seven years. So what have you seen in that marketplace? Um, well, the last few years, I think, has been actually a couple of the worst years in my career for two reasons. One, we had COVID. And during COVID, as you know, we created our Belfast Centre of Excellence. We brought on, what, three cohorts of, of early and career folk into the Belfast team. Uh, we got to meet the first cohort and then very quickly we hit lockdown. Our second and third cohorts were all remotely trained remotely trained so that was that was a challenge from a people perspective um but coincided with that and and from a work perspective that meant as covid rolled out around the world our suppliers shut down they couldn't bring people into their factories they couldn't bring people in to build the components that we needed or to assemble our finished products so as that rolled around the world we had a number of challenges to deal with um at the same time, we hit the semiconductor shortage, which everybody knew about. Um, so you couldn't get new cars, you couldn't get white goods, because everything these days has semiconductors in it. Um, with smart technology and the internet of things and all the gaming, and of course with COVID, everybody was at home, you know, watching Netflix, um, you know, investing in Nintendos and all those machines. So the shortage of semiconductors had a massive impact on our supply chain. Um, and we learned so much through that. And I think one of the things through my career is, while you can learn so much in the good times and you can learn so much from good leaders, you also learn more, I think, through adversity. And you also learn a lot from bad leaders. You learn how not to do things and how not to behave. Um, but we learned a huge amount about the lack of resiliency in our supply chain, I would say. Um, so coming out of that, we've, we now understand, we've engaged with more, like Gartner as an example. We've been doing risk workshops with Gartner to look at the global landscape, what risks are still out there. Um, we've also... Uh, expanded the resiliency within our supply chain from a component perspective. We've dual sourced a lot of our build capability. So we're not reliant on one part, one EMS in one part of the world. We've got capability around the world. And at the minute, we're just embarking on a, a network analysis, which is very much centered in, um, in my part of the organization around uh, regional distribution model and logistics, which also has a sustainability focus because where I actually sit on Sienna's environmental steering committee um, and we're very much focused on reducing packaging, reducing the amount of movement of our goods around the world, working with our logistics partners about sustainable fuels, uh, electric trucks to move our goods uh, so that we are reducing our, our impact on the environment. So learned a huge amount. However, um, and I, I sit now on a visibility council. It's a forum that comes together with leaders from various uh, industries around the world. Um, and we had a session uh, a few weeks ago around the economic outlook. And the guy who was chairing it asked for two words from everybody around what they felt the future looked like. And my two words to focus on were uncertainty. I do not think we will ever go back to pre-COVID, pre-semiconductor. 
with the geopolitical risks that are out there, China and the impact on Taiwan, the Japan earthquake. There's so much the Ukraine-Russia conflict, the conflict in the Middle East. There's so much going on in the world that just drives uncertainty into global supply chains. So I think it's about risk management. I think it's about scenario planning. Um, I think it's about understanding how you can navigate those risks because they are going to manifest themselves somewhere. Um, and I think we also learned a lot about how to manage people through that and the flexibility, working from home, how to connect with people remotely um, versus the good old days in Nortel, for example, where anybody you needed to talk to was five minutes walk away or and you had your weekly management meetings where everybody was in the room. Uh, it's now all Zoom and it's just become that way of life going forward. But I think as leaders, that's what you've had to adapt to. But I suppose for you, over that period of time, how has your leadership changed? What are the fundamental things that you've either learned and adapted or how has that changed for you over that period? One element has been, I would describe it as critical thinking. You're now leading in a much more high-risk environment. So I think making the right decisions and be based on perhaps limited information or in trying to predict what the future looks like. And that was one thing Chris Conway always taught us when we were the, the leadership team in Monkstown was to look ahead. What's coming next? What do we need to be prepared for? Or what crest of a wave do we need to, to be on? So I think for me, one thing is critical thinking, um, making those decisions. And even if you make a wrong decision, there's this, I don't like bingo phrases, but there's fail fast. Don't be afraid to fail, but adjust quickly. So adapt, be flexible as a leader. Um, I also think, I'm going to describe it as lateral agility. I've, throughout my entire career, it's never been about necessarily the success of my, my team. It's been about our collective success within supply chain. And not only then from a supply chain perspective, but sales, PLM, our services organization. In front of our customers, we need to present a united front, a collective way forward. So it's always been about collaboration and through and moving forward. When I say lateral agility, it's about spending as much time with my peers within supply chain, as well as my peers in those other functions what do we need to do? Are we doing the right thing? What decisions do we need to make? What risks are coming? What opportunities are coming? How do we enable one another to be successful in front of our customers? So those, and, and then through all of that, the underpinning thing is just your network. It's just reaching out to people, talking to people, collaboration, communication. And with your team, just making sure they're all good. You're supporting career development. You're supporting their exposure and visibility within the organization because we have a, a great I have a great team love my team bunch of rock stars and um and knowing most of them yeah. <laughs> um so in terms of you what was the worst what was the biggest lesson you had to learn and how did that change and how did it make you adapt going forward um i think the worst thing that has happened to me in my career and it's happened a couple of times and as I, I said earlier 
it's about when you end up working for someone whose leadership is lacking. I think that's always been the biggest challenge for me is is having to deal with someone whose who's leadership is restrictive and ego-based and not conducive to collaborative working. Yes. Um, so I think for me, the biggest challenge is, and as a female as well, because I do tend to get emotional from time to time. So, well, probably more often than I should. And it's not saying that I break down in tears. It's not that. I get very invested in certain projects or individuals. So when I've had a leader that I've been challenged with, it's been about adapting my style and my approach to be very factual, to give my, to wait, maybe build in 24, 48 hours before I go to talk to them about something, to kind of set out what I want to say in a very factual and logical manner, take the emotion out of it, um, focus on the business imperatives and the business drivers. But for me, the biggest challenge has always been when I've, I've had to work for someone like that and how to navigate my way through it. And you mentioned as well being a female. Have you found yourself being the only female in the room? Yes. Very regularly. And I suppose there's two questions that comes from that. How does that drive you to bring more females into the room? Because I think diversity is one of those things that every company is looking at at a senior level. Um, and what changes have you made to do that? Um, so yes, absolutely. And telecoms tends to be a male-dominated environment. Um, so I think from a personal perspective, it's about resilience and persistence and having the courage to speak up um, and the self-confidence to speak up. Sometimes I, I've never considered myself overly self-confident, but I've never been afraid to speak up. Um, I've always, always had the view that anything is possible so I've never been afraid to take on a challenge. Um, so I think personally, th that's been my approach throughout my career. And it's always stood me in great stead with the organizations and the teams that I've worked with. What strategies do you use to bring women forward in your business? Well, obviously within my own organization, I have a very direct influence over that. So when we're hiring, it's very much a focus on a, an open slate of candidates. Um, and looking for strong females and encouraging females to join um, or to apply for our jobs. So that's been one element. Secondly, is once we have females in the team, it's about their development and progression through the organization and working with them to encourage them to do exactly what I've just said. Be courageous, don't be afraid to speak up, don't be afraid to fail. We're all here with you, you're not failing on your own. So it's providing that environment. Equally, um, Sienna has a number of ERGs and I was a founding member of the women at, e at Sienna ERG in, in the UK. So promoted a lot of women, female oriented programs. And we ran a super program called the Confidence Code. And we actually even uh, extended that out to schools. We had a couple of schools come in with, you know, brought in their 17, 18 year old female students. And we took them through the Confidence Code program as well. 
Currently, I'm actually, I, I lead the Pride at Sienna, ERG, uh, which I'm very proud of. And hopefully this comes to pass, but we will be part of the Belfast Pride Parade this year. We're going to join up for that. Um, um, so yes, very focused on, on bringing women on um, and supporting and encouraging women in the organisation. But yes, we're a we're a rare breed at senior levels in, in, in the company or where certainly we're in Nortel. Sienna has made a lot of progress. Um, our diversity numbers have got much better over the years. And yes, I'll do everything I can to promote, you know, women within our organisation. And I do. And what would you have told your very much younger self in terms of your career? What would what advice would you have given yourself 25 years ago? A, the advice I would have given myself 25 years ago probably would have been around the self-confidence thing. I never, th I, th I thought I had imposters. I've had imposter syndrome most of my life. I even said it at the start of this. I don't, I don't feel like I'm a vice president because it sounds a bit grandiose for me, you know, when I've got my welly boots on in the field with my four dogs. The dogs. <laughs> you know, so it's like, and I'm sure when people, if people saw me and thought, she's never... But anyway, so I think I've always had imposter syndrome. And I think it's also back to what you said, you know, about women, when there's a job opportunity, they they want to, you know, meet 100% of the criteria before they go for it. Don't go for it. We are, we bring so much to the table in terms of balance, thought, judgment, empathy, collaboration. Our, our egos tend not to get in our way. So what was the one thing for you within leadership? What was the one thing for you that maybe was more challenging that you had to work at, that you were very aware of and wanted to get better at? Um, so again, I've done numerous assessments over the years. And the one that consistently comes out is um, I have always felt that I have struggled with innovation, with, with looking ahead, with looking for new opportunities and new ideas and new models and new scenarios. And therefore, back to Mr. Conway and always be ahead of the game, always be looking to what, what you want to be when in two years time or 18 months or whatever the, the time horizon you're looking at. So I have really, really focused on um, reading articles, which I don't feel is proper work. <laughs> <laughs> so I always feel like I'm cheating when I'm, uh, I'm reading an article and I'm at work and this really isn't work, but it is work. So Harvard Business Review, um, we had a relationship with a consultant a few years ago. He was an independent consultant, but loved the guy. Um, and he is part of the Apex supply organization. Uh, so spent loads of time with, with Douglas talking about what should we look like, metrics, benchmarks. We work with Gartner, uh, so again, read loads of Gartner articles, the webinars, you know, invite their um, experts in to talk to my team. As I mentioned a wee while ago, we did this risk management workshop with them. Uh, we spent, uh, I think in total, we've spent about six hours with them, just looking at the risks that are out there, then assessing which risks we felt were most relevant to our supply chain, and then looking at scenarios as to, well, how would you, how do you set yourself up to be flexible and adaptable enough to manage those as and when they appear? Because it's not that 
if they will appear, they are going to, because as I said earlier, uncertainty is just is just the world we live seems in. Seems to be a given now. Yes, it is. So that ability for change, to adapt to change, to predict change. Um, so that's where I've... And particularly inf- over the last couple of yes, years, I suppose that's where you've invested. A lot of my time so that I do contribute at a strategic thinking level, you know, with my boss and with my peers and with the other executives in the company when we're, we get together to discuss where we're going, what we're going to do, and to contribute to, if you like, the, the supply chain strategic plan. So that was where I've worked. But it doesn't feel like work. But, I, I work. but it is. It is. <laughs> no, it absolutely is. And, and you have to, you know, when you get to this level, you've got to show up at a strategic, in the strategic conversations as well as in how you're, you're running the supply chain, how it operationally performs. And I suppose, and you've played this down beautifully, I think, during this sort of interview. But, you, you know, you have a highly responsible job. It is a global job. It is complex. It is challenging. For you personally, how do you balance that? Because there's travel, there's complexity. How do you balance that with the day-to-day? A, not well. So I'm, I'm going to listen back to this particular part because I need to take my own advice more often. Uh, but... I don't think, I think everybody has an individual work ethic and there's no one size fits all answer. You've got to be comfortable with the work-life balance that you have. Um, and when we, we, there's a resilience course that we did and, and it, 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 there's a seesaw image in it and you've got to balance the work pressures with the other side of the seesaw, which is... How you, how you find time to let those stresses go away. And as I said a short time ago, the last two years have been like the worst two years of my career in terms of the challenges and the stresses. So number one for me is sleep. Uh, number two is HRT, <laughs> which, which became a key part of my, me maintaining my sanity uh, over the last few years. But my, my patches have, have gone a long way to that as well. Um, I used to be very involved in hockey. Um, you mentioned this, that you were a real... Yes, I was involved. Um, I used to play. I briefly umpired, but got more abuse from my own team than anybody else. So quickly stopped that. Gave that up. Gave that up, <laughs> yes. Um, obviously was, you know, involved with Bambridge Hockey Club. So very involved with the hockey club. Then got involved with Ulster Hockey and then just stepped back from it all because it was just... Too much. too much as my work role expanded. Enjoy tennis. Don't play enough of it. Love my dogs. My dogs are my saving grace and uh, walk them first thing every morning. And there's just nothing better, even if it's raining. I, I love the rain as well. Don't mind the rain at yeah. all. Billy Conley said, there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong coat. And that is so true. So... Coat, welly boots, out with the dogs, first thing in the morning, sun coming up, start off in darkness normally, and it just level sets you for the day. There's a real inner balance that gets reset. And the more stressed I am, the longer a walk I go on. So I take more time to walk with the dog. And and very often, Michael put 
two of the well two of the three when we had three now three of the four now that we have four but um into the car and i'll walk one of the dogs home which is maybe like a five mile walk if i'm very stressed i'll just take longer with the dogs but it just helps to yes just out in the fresh air time to think talk to the dog doesn't answer back tell him all my problems just looks at me. The fact they can speak and love you unconditionally. Yes, it's to immense. The tick boxes. Absolutely <laughs> immense. And um, so yes, it's it's at the minute it's my dogs. But once once I get more time, or if I got more time, I would play more tennis. Play more tennis. Alison, thank it's you for been listening to Pleasure. Thank Don't you very much. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to thank date you. with our latest episodes. Corvus people, recruit, develop, retain.